Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How is everyone doing? And how are you doing? And I hope you're doing okay, and I hope you are doing well. In the midst of these uncertain times, a lot of people are on the verge of not doing well. And I'm not just talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. Every once in a while, as you get older, it's a good idea for you to get a checkup physically. You do that with your teeth, you do that with your body. Well, it's also a good idea for us to get an overall health checkup for our well-being. The Bible calls that shalom our sense of well-being or peace. It's most likely that your schedules have been disrupted the last few weeks. Maybe you have extra time and maybe you're not as busy and maybe you have more time to think and reflect. Thank you so much for tuning in to church. We come to church to get a spiritual checkup, a reminder the truth, a word of encouragement and hope. As we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're just over halfway through the book and it's time for that spiritual checkup, according to the teacher, Solomon. It's time for that pit stop. God is going to ask us some questions through the teacher, Solomon, that are revealing so we can make adjustments, get healed up, tuned up, and back to enjoying life with God. What a timely piece of teaching from God's holy word we're going to get today from the teacher. So we're going to look at the last half of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. So take a look at verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Let me ask you, do you believe in karma? James, the brother of Jesus, talked about pure religion. Pure religion is about grace from God where you don't get what you deserve and you do get what you don't deserve. But there is also bad religion, and bad religion, usually in some form or fashion, is about karma. In karma, you only get what you deserve, and that's not always true. Now, Christians would say we don't believe in karma, but the truth is sometimes we live like that. And what I mean is this, if something bad happens to someone, we can wrongly assume that God is punishing them for being a bad person. On the contrary, if something good happens to someone, we can wrongly assume that God is blessing them for being a good person. But that's not how it works. Sometimes, according to the teacher, good people die young, including young Stephen, the first martyr, and Jesus. 
And sometimes wicked people live long lives, including the Herods and the Pharaohs of this world. When your life is going well, don't pat yourself on the back for earning it. Rather, thank God for his amazing grace. When your life is going poorly, don't automatically assume you are a bad person or that God is punishing you. That may or may not be the case. Also, when someone else is hurting and struggling, do not assume that they have some secret sin or did something that brought the trouble upon themselves. That too may or may not be the case. When we read the book of Job, Job lost everything he had for honoring the Lord with a godly life. We can feel free then to throw any notion of karma out the window because it harms our relationship with God and others. Look at verse 16 to 19. Do not be over-righteous, neither over-wise. Why destroy yourselves? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Remember Jesus talked about the path to heaven as narrow? There are two ways to veer off the pious path. You can veer to the left and be overly and wrongly emphasizing grace. You can veer to the right by overly and wrongly emphasizing laws or rules. Veering to the left is pretty easy, especially for the lazy. You convince yourself that God is like a permissive parent. You know, the kind that bought beer for their junior high kids when they had a sleepover at the house. This belief says God is so understanding that no one is perfect, not wanting to burden us with strenuous efforts for a disciplined life, not worried about our sin because he sent Jesus to forgive whatever we do, and permissive with a blank check. God is not a permissive parent. Now, veering to the right takes a bit more effort and attracts those who are devout, serious, disciplined. You convince yourself that God is a stern judge who parents with a merit or demerit system, keeping score of everything. So you start adding to God's rules with your own rules and looking down on others who break your rules and even judging and punishing them for not playing by your rules or God's rules you put together. God is not a legalistic parent. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? The younger brother veered to the left by drinking a lot, sleeping around, and being a fool until he ran out of inheritance money. The older brother veered to the right and was smugly self-righteous, thinking he was a better son that never broke any of the rules, well, both brothers were wrong. And both brothers have a lot of followers today. 
Ask yourself, do you veer to the left or the right? Solomon wisely says that both the grace abusers on the left and the rule makers on the right erred and need a course correction. And Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of staying on the narrow path. That's why he said, follow me. Those on the left found him a bit too serious about sin, repentance, and life change. For instance, when he told a woman at the well to stop sleeping around. Those on the right found him a bit too lax and accused him of being a drunkard, glutton, and a friend of sinners. Jesus did drink and eat, including at some nice parties, but he was never accused of drunkenness and gluttony. The religious people added to God's law their rules that you should not eat or drink at parties. While they ended up being more holy than God and judged God for being less holy than them, even to the point of killing him for breaking their rules. Thankfully, Jesus was a friend of sinners and remains one to this day, which is why we are friends of his and why we're here today. Look at verse 20. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. In other words, do you believe in the sinful nature and that everyone has one? You've heard that before in the Bible, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When someone is acting in an ungodly way, just yelling at them to stop is not enough. Likewise, yelling at a blind person to see or a deaf person to hear won't fix the problem. We are sinners through and through. Every single one of us, with the exception of Jesus Christ, we are sinners by nature and choice. We have sins of omission where we don't do the good we're supposed to, and we have sins of commission where we do the wrong. We sin in thought, word, deed, and motive. Without understanding this, we try to raise moral kids who still have a sinful old nature. Or we try to counsel people who don't know God to just start obeying him. Well, how do you do that if you don't even know who God is? The problem is not just on us, it's, it's buried deep within us. And this is why Jesus came to die for sin and to rise again, to give us new life. He sent the Holy Spirit, yes, to give us a new nature with new desires and new powers to live a better life. We can't do this on our own. Until we get to the kingdom and see Jesus, we are all works in progress. Knowing we are a sinner on a planet filled with sinners gives us a bit of grace for ourselves and others, a bit. We can stop pretending we have it all together 
We can be honest about our struggles and shortcomings, and we can invite other sinners to walk with us as we all become, hopefully, more like Jesus a bit every day, but not in our own strength. Look at verse 21 and 22. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, do you live for the approval of others? Apparently, eavesdropping was a problem 3,000 years ago. Sadly, the internet has only made things worse. It used to be that only God could really peer into the daily events of a person's life, seeing what they do, hearing what they say. But now we can all be a little like God, peering in on everyone else's life, seeing their photos, reading their posts, and obsessing over their opinion of us. And the problem is, there is usually somebody somewhere saying something about us that they would never say to our face. If we're living for the approval and likes of our fan base, we're doomed. Every single one of us has said some things about others that we hope never gets back to them. So we have to cut others some slack. Flame throwing online is now a global hobby and produces nothing but misery. The teacher's advice is, is the best. Ignore it. Don't believe everything you hear. And please, please consider the source. There are better things to do than get into a mudslinging match. Look at verse 23 to 25. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. You know, one thing I find absolutely fascinating, if you ever go on the internet and go to Google Earth, and you should sometime, type in your address. It'll take you right to your home, your place, and then zoom out. Zoom out and just see, in the big scheme of things, how small you really are. It's good for us to zoom out from our daily lives and reflect a little bit, pull back, and maybe look back at the most recent season of your life. Where were you wise and where were you foolish? What things at that time seemed smart and in reflection they were just dumb, ideas you held or fights you had 
money you spent, things you did. The teacher is saying that some things are not necessarily sinful. They're just, he uses the word stupid, foolishness and madness. You cannot get put in jail or kicked out of a church for them, but they're simply dumb. Examples would include the guy who never fixes the leak in his roof, so eventually his house is ruined. The teenager who stays up all night obsessed with clashing clans until their grades suffer in school. Or the responsible young woman who really needed a puppy but instead found a foolish guy to feed water and pick up after. Verse 26. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. What's the question? Is sex the bait on your hook? Now remember, Solomon... He had a thousand women living in his palace. As a young man, we're pretty sure he wrote the Song of Songs with his first wife, the wife of his youth. It's very poetic and erotic and beautiful. By the end of his life, he was miserable and jaded. He had a whole bunch of pagan wives through contract marriages, arranged with foreign countries and powers. And they used his money to build places of ritual prostitution and likely child sacrifices. After a lifetime of chasing his every fantasy, Solomon never met a woman like his first wife. And it just goes to show that growing old, holding hands with your spouse is still the best way real joy and happiness in a loving relationship. It combats every lust and sexual sin when we follow God's plan for marriage. Verse 27 and 28. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the schemes of things while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. The question, do you find men or women more virtuous? I mean, the world is filled with some bad people. Users and abusers are everywhere. Some are men, some are women. If you think that women or men are more trustworthy or safer or godlier, then you are deceived by either feminism or chauvinism. Sitting on his gold throne, overlooking his empire, Solomon says that out of his thousand women harem, there is not one pure-hearted woman among them. And the odds of finding a good man 
are only 0.10% better, which isn't a glowing commendation. The problem is not men or women. The problem is men and women. And the solution is to find godly people with integrity to do life with, whether they are men or women, people who want to do what is right because they want to live to the glory of God who made them and saved them, and they want to spend their lives loving their neighbors above themselves. Once you find them, praise God for them and follow their example and do life with them. This is the wisdom of the teacher. Look at verse 29. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. The question, do you blame God for evil? When God finished his work creating the world, he called everything good. When God finished making humanity, he called it very good. Everything that is bad and very bad is in some way the result of human sin. Yes, God is sovereign over all, but he's also good. God is not in any way, to any degree, bad or evil. When evil occurs, the very worst thing is to blame God for it. God is not evil. This world is not the way God made it or the way that God will remake it for eternity. We each have chased many a scheme trying to figure out what the world's problems are, but we have no one else to blame than ourselves. And once we realize that we are the problem and that we can't fix ourselves, then hopefully we realize that only God can fix the problem through his son Jesus Christ who saves us. And the only way out of this mess is to believe in Jesus the Savior, believe in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as he straightens us out one life at a time. Final verse, chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Question? How can you grow in wisdom? Wisdom is the great gift the Holy Spirit gives us to navigate through this life. Every day and every situation has variables and complexities that require more than a paint-by-number approach to life. This is where wisdom comes in and guides us forward. Wisdom, we're told, allows us to analyze what is happening interpret how to respond, and brings a God-given peace to our soul. 
a sense of well-being, if you would, what the Bible calls shalom. That shows forth on our face to others. Wisdom helps us be confident, live with faith, that no matter what comes, with the spirit of wisdom guiding us forward, we can, like Jesus, navigate the obstacles and challenges of this life, including the present one we are in, and see opportunities that life brings us. As the Bible clearly says, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you already heard it in the service, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, which we're going to hear about in the weeks to come because we're starting to approach Holy Week. I can hardly wait to see what more Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen.